Uh, real quick, before we get started, just a little survey. I never make you guys participate. So uh, not often you all talk back to me. I get it. We kind of lean super Baptist in that regard. Um, but just a quick survey by the raising of hands. Uh, I want to know in here who here is team iPhone. Okay. I, mean, I should have said who in here is saved. Um, who in here is team iPhone? Okay, so most of you, you've seen the light. All right, now who in here is team Android? Yeah, see how you all have to like work extra hard to get people to like you? Um, you're less sanctified, but it's all good. Okay, so there's a reason I ask that, and it's not to spread divisiveness amongst the brothers and sisters of Christ this morning, okay? Uh, if you're team iPhone and you want directions somewhere, uh, you use Apple Maps, and our girl Siri likes to tell us where to go, right? She tells us about accidents. She tells us about road closures. She even tells us where the police are hiding on the I-10, uh, what lane to even be in. Uh, Siri rules. If you're team Android, I think you use Google Maps, which is like everything else Android. It's like the JV version of Maps, right? Uh, but I'm sure the Android Google Maps get you from A to B. Uh, but another quick show of hands. How many of you in here remember MapQuest? MapQuest, okay. So now we're us older, more mature people are starting to raise our hands. Uh, so before Siri or Google, uh, you used to have to go to your computer, right? Type in the starting point address, type in uh, the destination address, and then you'd hit print, okay? And, and hopefully you have enough ink in your computer, uh, like eight pages of directions to go down the street, come out of your printer. Uh, if you're at a hotel, it's real inconvenient because you have to go down to like that weird office that's just kind of shut off by itself. Uh, but here's the deal. You print off eight pages of directions. Six of them are ads by companies we don't know. Uh, if there's a road closure, oh well, you're not going to know that. You deal with it. If there's an accident, they're not going to reroute you. The map is fixed. It's printed. Uh, but before MapQuest even, now some of you real old school people in here, how, how many of you have actually used like an actual map? Okay, so like Rand McNally type deal, right? Uh, I remember when I was little, little meaning like 12, uh, we were on vacation in California. Uh, my dad and I got up early one morning. Uh, he got us a map at a gas station. Uh, so my dad and I were going to drive real early to go get tickets to watch The Tonight Show uh, with Jay Leno. And we notice as we're driving, we're in like a little bit of a rough part of L.A., okay? It's why. It's because my dad had an actual map. Uh, he starred Alameda Street on the map instead of Alameda Avenue. Uh, the Tonight Show is in Burbank. Alameda Street is in Compton, okay? So because my dad could not read a map, uh, we nearly lost our lives that day. So here's why I say all this. It's because details are important. Uh, when it comes to directions or instructions, the more detailed the instructions are, the more clear the path. Uh, but whether as detailed as Siri is or as shady as like a Rand McNally map from 1970 is, uh, there's no map or instruction or direction does us any good if we don't actually like go out there, right? If we don't actually follow and start the path. Uh, map, it could be an eight-page print-off, it could be your iPhone, whatever. You have to actually start uh, this morning, we're going to see Jesus give super clear directions to the disciples, uh, but it's all with the expectation that I'm going to give you these directions and you're actually going to go out and do it. Uh, so the big idea this morning is that as Christians, if you identify as a Christian in this room, you've been given a job to do, and you have to go out there and actually do your job. So in five words, kind of the key point is you got to get out there. 
Um, and this morning, the text, we're in 15 verses, which usually I'm used to preaching like three, so we got a lot of time this morning. Uh, in the 15 verses, Matthew's going to kind of tell us uh, the who in verses one through five. So who is supposed to go out there? Uh, the where in verses five and six, like where are they supposed to go? Uh, verses seven and eight is what are they supposed to say? What are they supposed to do? And then we'll finish with the how or like the details, the practicality behind it uh, in verses nine through 15. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn them to Matthew chapter 10. We're finally in chapter 10. Can I get an amen? Uh, and while you do that, let me open up our, our time in a word of prayer. Uh, Lord, I'm grateful for just your presence in this place. God, I'm grateful that we get to gather up this morning as the body of believers, not just here at Salt Church, but just the church worldwide, uh, all gets to gather this morning and worship your name through song, uh, worship your name through opening your words. So as we do that right now, God, I pray that you uh, bless the words that come from my mouth. Let your spirit be present in this place. Uh, let it convict where it needs to convict. Let it make us grow where we need to grow. And so, God, I just pray that your presence is in this place for the next 30 minutes or so, and we leave here challenged to do your work. It's in your name I pray. Amen. All right, so the who. Uh, who is going to get out there? Uh, Matthew 10, starting in verse 1. Matthew tells us, summoning his 12 disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and heal every disease and sickness. Uh, so we've narrowed down our audience of the who right here. Uh, explicitly, Jesus summons his 12 disciples or his 12 apostles uh, right off the heels of last week, right? Telling them that the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. He kind of tells that to the crowd. Now he takes his 12 disciples and he's like, all right, fellas, you are the laborers. It's your turn to labor. Go out into the harvest and do your work. So Matthew tells us he takes the 12 apostles and we see Jesus here in verse 1, he takes the same authority he's been operating with, and he gives that authority to his 12 disciples. Uh, he gives them authority to drive out unclean spirits, to heal every disease, to heal every sickness. Uh, hopefully by now, if you're reading this, it's, it's tripping your trigger of like what this whole theme of Matthew has been. Uh, earlier in Matthew 4, verse 23, it's a summary statement of Jesus. It says, now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and what? Healing every disease and sickness among the people. Uh, right after he does a bunch of healings in Matthew 9, another summary statement, verse 35, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. Uh, so here we are, Matthew 10, verse 1. Again, it's important to know that the same authority that we've seen Jesus operate is now transferred to his disciples. And he tells them, go out and minister. Go out and drive out the unclean spirit. Heal sicknesses. You see people with diseases, heal them. Uh, then Matthew gives us a list of the 12 that we're going to do this in verse 2. Uh, it says, these are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Jesus sent out these 12 after giving them instructions. Uh, some of those guys in that list of 12 we know a lot about, like Peter and John, right? We know a ton about those guys. Uh, other guys like Thaddeus, Bartholomew, Simon the Zealot, uh, we barely know anything. There's like one verse in the Gospels about any of those guys. 
Uh, You have 12 men that Jesus picked. These are his 12 followers, right? None of them are of some super high or lofty status. Uh, Commenting on the list of the apostles, William Barclay described these 12 guys as very ordinary men. Uh, John Calvin described these men of men of obscurity and of no repute. Uh, But that's okay. Uh, That's who Jesus trusted as His guys that were going to go out there and do His work. That's who Jesus chose to give His authority to. Uh, That, for all of us in this room, should be an encouragement. Uh, If this is written today, right, all of us in here who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and identify as a Christian are His disciples. So this list of 12 is now expanded to the hundreds of millions of people that identify as evangelical Christians in the world today. Uh, The mission is much larger in a geographic context than it was for the disciples here. We'll see that in a second. But the mission should technically be easier, right, since there's more of us. Uh, But that comes down to my point. You have to get out there. Uh, If you're a Christian and you sit on the sidelines and don't have any type of, like, ministry, uh, you are named as a disciple and you're given a specific job to do. Uh, None of us in here, as far as I'm aware, have the ability to drive out unclean spirits or heal people of their illness. Uh, But we are called, we're given instructions to be what? We're called to be the salt of the earth. We're called to be the light of the world. We are called as his disciples to spread the good news of Jesus. If you name yourself as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have to get out there and actually act like a disciple. The harvest is plenty, right? The laborers are few. It's our job to labor. So in this passage, that's the who, the 12 disciples, But for application purposes, it's all of us in this room that identify as one of Christ's disciples. Uh, Put yourself in this text. Put yourself in Matthew 10, and then go out there and do your job. So that's the who. Now let's look at the second part of verse 5. Jesus starts to tell the disciples the where. He says, don't take the road that leads to the Gentiles, and don't enter any Samaritan town. Instead, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So remember where they're at when Jesus is telling them this. They're in Galilee. Uh, Galilee as a region was a very, very heavy Jewish region, not 100% Jewish, but probably like 95% Jewish people. If you're standing in Galilee and you go north or you go east, uh, you'd be in Gentile territory. If you went south, you'd be in a place called Samaria. Uh, If you know anything about scripture, Jews and Samaritans, they were not buddies with each other. So Jesus is saying, don't go all those directions. Just kind of stay where you're at. So who are they supposed to reach? When he says, go to the lost sheep of Israel, that's an imperative command that Jesus is giving his disciples. He says, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I remember last week, Jesus looks over the crowds and he has compassion, right? Because he looked at the people and it says that they look distressed. They look dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, It's no surprise that he labels the mission field for the 12 disciples as the lost sheep, right? That metaphor of sheep, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And the Bible makes this abundantly clear. That's who Jesus came for. Jesus came to save the world, uh, but Jesus is very clear. His gospel came for the Jew first and then the Gentile. Uh, Jesus is a Jew. He's one of them. Remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus came through the Davidic line. He's the son of David. Uh, We've seen in Matthew, many people, both Jews and Gentiles, have started to follow Jesus, uh, but now the mission for the disciples was clear. Keep focus. Your mission field are the Jewish people who are right in front of you. 
Uh, so if those disciples had the lost sheep of the house of Israel as their mission field, what is our mission field today? Uh, if we are to get out there as his disciples, uh, who is it that we're supposed to reach? Uh, I think that's a very easy application for us. Uh, last week, Matt talked about like how when he prays, he prays in concentric circles. So he'll start with those who are closest to him, and then he kind of moves outward, right? I think that's really instructive to who we're called to reach when we go out and we're on mission for Christ. Uh, when I say you got to get out there, the first thing a lot of people think is like there's just zero to 100 challenge of like, okay, so Michael, you're asking me this morning, I got to just give up my entire life. I need to move to some third world country and proclaim the gospel. No, if you feel called to do that, I would love nothing more than for you to do that. But that's not what I'm saying this morning. Uh, you don't even need to go far to find lost people. Uh, some of you just need to like walk downstairs in your own house. Men, is your wife your mission field? Are your kids your mission field? Do your children who are up there right now, do they know who Jesus Christ is? When they're in your home, do you raise them up in the ways of the gospel? Uh, we like to think everything in this large scope type thing, but there are people right in front of us where God's just saying, hey man, you don't have to look very far. Your mission field might be sitting right next to you this morning. Uh, in this text, the disciples were instructed to go to neighboring villages and towns. They didn't have to get on a boat. They just had to like walk down the street. Uh, a lot of us in here have work for life in front of us if we just stay in your own home right now or your own neighborhood. I've uh, put up maps of my cul-de-sac. I could spend the rest of my life evangelizing my 18 houses in my cul-de-sac. Uh, parents, I just want to say one thing if you have a kid in here that's school age. Uh, I've been a lead pastor for almost three years. I know that's not a ton of time, but I've heard a common theme of a lot of people that are over 50 is what their number one regret was. Uh, their number one regret, I've been told a lot, is I didn't pour into my kids spiritually like I should have. Uh, parents, do you plead with Christ to save your son? Do you plead with Christ to save your daughter? Do you plead with the Holy Spirit to just put gospel kindling around your kid's heart and then just pray that one day through your discipleship that will be ignited and your kid will be on fire for Christ? Don't you dare go outside the home as your mission field if you cannot minister inside your own home first. So get out there. You don't even have to go far. Figure out your next door neighbor's name. Uh, the harvest is plenty, the laborers are few. So now we've identified, I'm someone who needs to go out there. You've got your mission field hopefully identified, and you're now in your mission field. Now that you're out there, what are you going to say? Uh, I'm glad you asked. Verse 7, the what? Jesus says, as you go, proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come near. A simple message, no frills. You don't have to be an expert in apologetics to share the gospel. Uh, for the disciples, a simple message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And when they say that, the people are accustomed. They want to hear stuff like that. Remember, all of God's people are all about establishing their kingdom again, the monarchy, the power. This is a welcome message for them. Man, the kingdom has come. Uh, hold on, the kingdom of our people, like the Israelites, it's going to be reestablished? And no, not so much. 
The continuity of Scripture is very clear. In Matthew 3, verse 1, it says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's John the Baptist in Matthew 3. In Matthew 4, 17, it says, From then on Jesus began to preach, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. So the message of John the Baptist and the message of Jesus Christ is that the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus says that, and now in verse 7, as the disciples go to reach the lost sheep of the house of Israel, they are to proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come near. Uh, That's not a political form. That's the form of a person. The kingdom of heaven in Jesus Christ is now on earth. The Messiah had come. Jesus was here. The heavenly kingdom has now been consummated here on earth. A new way of living that Jesus outlines in Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. That's the new standard in which you should live your life. There's a new level of authority that we've seen all throughout chapters 8 and 9. That level of authority through Christ is now being wielded. And one day, what the disciples are supposed to go out and say is one day day every knee is going to bow to that authority. So the instructions from Jesus are clear. As you go, in the Greek, that's like as you continue to go. You don't just go once, you keep going. As you go, proclaim the fact that I am here. I, Jesus, I am here. He tells them, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with leprosy, drive out demons, freely you receive, now freely give. The same authority Jesus was given to the disciples to do mighty works in his name. For those of us in the Acts Bible study, we see this clearly, how the Holy Spirit of God empowers people to spread the gospel, do miraculous things to push his name forward. I don't see anyone here with leprosy. I don't know, I don't, at least tell me after service if any of you have the power to raise people from the dead. I doubt it. Um, But realize as you get out there, as you identify what your mission field is, your message is clear. We as Christians, 2,000 years later, are to proclaim the kingdom is here. Uh, We are to claim the Messiah has come. Jesus is alive. Jesus resurrected from the grave. If you believe in him and become part of his kingdom, you now live to a new standard of life. Look at this language that Jesus is using. He says, you receive freely, now give freely. If Christ saved you, why do we keep that a secret? If Christ truly saved you, Uh, If Christ truly rescued you from like the pits of hell, why do we keep those things under this blanket? And it's like this secret that we don't want anybody to hear. If you as a Christian, you see that when you fall into sin, Christ gives you grace. If you've been showered by grace, why do we as Christians a lot of time lack to extend grace to the lost? Uh, We may not know people with leprosy. We may not have demonic encounters But man, don't you know that all around you on the daily basis in life, there's lost people who are spiritually dead. They're not spiritually sick. They're spiritually dead. And you, as one of his disciples, you wield the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit of God that can melt a heart of stone, that should then produce in you a boldness that you cannot explain when you're sharing the gospel. So that's the who the disciples, the where, close proximity to where you're at, the what, share the gospel, now the how, meaning what are the details. Uh, This is the part of the directions that are like, when you see the QT, turn right. If you make it to the Chevron, turn around, you've gone too far. So this is the practicality behind it. Uh, Verse 9, Jesus tells them, don't acquire gold, silver, or copper for your money belts. 
Don't take a traveling bag for the road or an extra shirt, sandals, or a staff, for the worker is worthy of his food. So he's telling the disciples, don't go out and try to acquire cash for taking a missionary journey for me. Well, what are they thinking? Hold on, Jesus. You're sending us out. I can't take a bag with some extra clothes. Uh, some of you suburban moms in here are like, I can't take my Lulu crossbody and my Stanley cup. No extra shirt. Jesus, what if my flip-flop breaks down on the way to my neighbor's house? Jesus is basically saying in these two verses, stop all your excuses. Stop all the paralysis by analysis of what you're worried about once you go on mission. Jesus is saying, if I'm giving you a task, go do the task. You don't need a bag to carry extra food in. I'll make sure you're taken care of. In this case, what does Jesus say? Who is the worker working for? When we're out on mission for Christ, who are we working for? We're working for Christ. So the question is, is Christ worthy enough or trustworthy enough to supply for every need? I would say in my experience in life, that's a resounding yes. You work hard to expand his kingdom. He will supply for you every single need. If you don't believe me, become a pastor. I can't tell you how many times in my life over the last three years, God has been faithful to me time and time again. When you give your life to the mission of Christ, he won't make you rich and famous. If that's what you think you're signing up for, don't, because that's not what you're going to get. But man, I promise you that when you live your life on mission for Christ, he will carry you through every single situation because his arms are faithful to carry you. In verse 11, he says, when you enter any town or village, find out who's worthy and stay there until you leave. So he's telling them, go into any Jewish town and find someone who's worthy. That means look for someone who will welcome you or look for someone who isn't like in staunch opposition of the message of the kingdom. He says, greet a household when you enter it. Uh, Luke tells us that when they would enter these houses, they would proclaim peace be to this household. That's what it means to greet the house when you walked in. Jesus tells them, if the household is worthy, let your peace be on it. But if it's unworthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone does not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. So if you walk into a house or you evangelize a neighbor and that person's worthy, let your peace be on that person. If it's unworthy, Jesus is like, let your peace be removed from that place, meaning just get out of there. It's not worth it. Leave that house. Shake the dust off your feet on your way out. Uh, To the Jews, when they would ever go in Gentile territory, upon entering the Jewish territory again, if they had any dust on their sandal, they would knock it off their sandals because even the Gentile dirt was considered unclean. Jesus is saying, leave the house. If they're not responsive, leave the house. Let God deal with them. It'll be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, If you're bored, go home and read Genesis 19, and you'll see the debauchery of Sodom and Gomorrah and why God destroyed that place. God doesn't like people who don't show proper hospitality. What Jesus is saying, he's saying if they're going to reject the messenger of Jesus is the same exact thing as just actually rejecting Jesus himself. So what does that mean for us as we go and we proclaim the gospel of Christ to those around us? It means that for some of the people that we are called to reach, those people are going to be like low-hanging fruit. You'll proclaim the gospel, you'll proclaim the message of Christ, it will be received and you'll see that person is converted. But for others, it could be met with combativeness. Uh, Scripture is pretty clear that for the most part, we are going to be hated, hated people for what we proclaim. 
But that doesn't mean that we skirt the command of what Jesus is telling us, and that's to go. How are you going to know a certain individual received the, how they'll receive the gospel if you don't ever share it with them? Uh, January 2022, we did this Who's Your One series for four weeks. And I challenge everybody in this church, write down the one person you want to share the gospel with, one person that you're going to plead with Christ that he will save. Uh, I wrote down my next door neighbor's name. His name's Cliff. I've tried multiple times to engage Cliff in spiritual conversation. And every time I do, it's met with unbelievable hardness. But what did God do? I wrote down Cliff's name, and then all of a sudden, God's opening the door for my other neighbor, my neighbors, Steve and Lorna, who are atheists on the other side, gave me opportunity to share the gospel with them. If you look at the lost, like they're this like sea of rocks, you don't know how they'll respond until you uncover the rock. If they reject you and how you share the gospel, know that they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting the creator of the universe, which is way worse than you being rejected. So what's the takeaway this morning? It's that you have to get out there. If you claim to be a disciple of Christ, you're not just given a command, you see the blessedness of Jesus, how he gives you specific instructions on how to carry out that command. So what's stopping you this morning from actually doing it? I'll skip past the who part. I hope I did a good enough job convincing you that as a Christian, uh, you have a non-negotiable job to do. Uh, So what's stopping you? Is it the where? Do you not have any non-Christians around you? Are all your friends and family members Christians? If that's you, I would ask you this morning that you need to change where you go in life. Uh, I just finished reading a book called Soul Winner by Charles Spurgeon. Awesome book. Uh, in it, this is what Spurgeon says. He says, some of you would never win soul, will never win souls in pulpits. It'd be a great pity if you even tried. But you can win souls in the workshop. You can win souls in the laundry, in the nursery, and in the drawing room. Our hunting grounds are everywhere, by the wayside, by the fireside, in the corner, and in the crowd. Among the common people, Jesus is our theme, and among the great ones, we have no other. 98% of you in this room will never stand up here and preach on a Sunday, but that does not make you a missionary for Jesus Christ. We don't have workshops. We don't have, if you still go to a laundromat, that's awesome. We don't have drawing rooms. I don't even know what that is. We have neighborhoods. We have our kids' sports teams. You have common places that you go. You have family members that you often talk to or often see. Our hunting grounds are everywhere. The lost are everywhere. Some of you wait all year long to get an elk tag. And you go up there and you want to shoot an elk and you don't even see an elk. In evangelism, it's the opposite. It's always hunting season. 12 months out of the year. There's game everywhere. You just have to look. So if you struggle with the where, ask God this morning, God, give me eyes to see where you want me to go. He'll show you. What about the what? You struggle with what to say. You get nervous sharing the gospel. You think you're going to break the gospel by what you say. Uh, For many of us in this room, the easiest testimony you're ever going to give is how God was faithful to you and remains faithful to you. You don't need all the answers How has God saved you? What has he saved you from? How has he saved you? Who would you be without Christ? How is your life different with Christ? Uh, Those are talking points that build a bridge, a common bridge to talk about him with other people. Read an evangelism book. 
Folks, I have five people in my evangelism class this semester of a church of 500 people. Five people signed up to learn about evangelism. But yet most of you in this room would tell me, well, I have no idea, Michael, how to share the gospel. The math doesn't add up. If you have a mission field right next door to you or downstairs in your house and you don't know how to communicate the gospel, put everything in your life aside and learn how to talk to the lost. A lack of knowledge is no excuse to skirt a clear command of Jesus Christ. So lastly, is it the how that you struggle with? Does the unknown of like really putting your life in Christ's hands, fully relying on God, does that scare you? Does putting your life fully in his hands give you cause for concern? Like, where's he going to take me? What's he going to make me say? Is he going to make me move? In the text this morning, we've seen Jesus care so much for his disciples that he doesn't just give them instruction, he promises them that as they go, their needs will be provided for, they'll be rewarded for their work, and that God will deal with those who reject him. We serve a God who cares deeply about his children, and he cares deeply about you when you go out and live on mission for him. When you commit your life to the mission of Jesus Christ, your life will not be all roses. I cannot promise you that, but I promise you, he will never cause your foot to stumble. So church, this week, get out there. You've got clear instructions, so what are you waiting for? Get out there. Uh, in closing, I just want to talk to the non-Christians in this room real quick. Uh, this morning, you've heard about the goodness of Jesus Christ. Uh, you've seen in verse 15 how if you reject the messenger of Christ, you reject Christ himself and you'll be judged like Sodom and Gomorrah. I just, you don't have to go read it. That's bad news, okay? You've seen how Christ cares for us, how he comes alongside his people and he loves us. You've seen how his kingdom is now available to all of us on earth who will simply receive him. I want you to know that right now, if you are not a Christian in this room, you stand in opposition to Christ. You are no different this morning than those who Jesus categorizes as unworthy, no different than those who will be judged worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. This morning, you have an opportunity to be saved from the eternal wrath that will come your way. So what do you do? How do you respond? Uh, all these instructions are given to Christians. What is your instruction this morning? It's simple. Trust in who Jesus Christ is. Trust in what Jesus Christ did. We see him all throughout the Gospel of Matthew. He came to this life as a baby, became a man. Trust the fact that when Jesus Christ was punished on the cross, he hung on that cross instead of you hanging on the cross. Trust that on the cross, Jesus Christ was your substitute. Christ's people are those people who trust him. If you trust him, he was punished for your sins. You will never be punished for your sins because God does not punish sin twice. If you trust Jesus this morning, my promise for you is that he pardons you, he forgives you, and he saves you to his kingdom forever. I'm pleading with you this morning, don't wait that is so much better than the opposite of everything that you seek. Would everybody just bow their heads? I want to close in a word of prayer. God, I thank you that there's never a time in the Bible, Lord, where you leave us hanging. Um, God, you give us all kinds of things to do, just different ways to obey, but yet you promise your presence. Uh, God, we see here in Matthew chapter 10, uh, Jesus just send his 12 disciples out and they should have been sent out with all the confidence in the world because they had the power of God behind them. Uh, God, I pray for the Christians in this room that 
skirt this responsibility to share the gospel. Uh, Father, I pray this morning that you would convict us where we need to be convicted. Uh, Whatever the parts of my outline were, uh, God, I just pray that you convict us to go out and do something about this. Uh, God, for some of us, give us just clear eyes to see the lost around us. Uh, God, give us confidence to proclaim the gospel and confidence to know that you're behind us when we do that. Um, Lord, I pray for the people in here that don't know you. Uh, Lord, the people who have never bowed their knee to you, uh, the people who have never accepted you as their Lord and Savior, God, I pray that you work on their heart this morning, Lord, that you would save souls in this room. Uh, Father, that your glory would work at this church. Uh, God, that wherever we're at in our spiritual walk, God, you can move us closer to you. Uh, So God, we give this to you. God, we thank you for all that you do for us. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in the life of this church. God, I pray that you set us on fire for evangelism and God, just cause us to go out and proclaim your glory to the ends of this earth, whether it's here in Waddell or wherever you send us. God, I just pray that we're obedient to you this morning. It's in your son's name I pray.